Would you rather fight one elephant-sized spider or an elephantine number of smaller spiders? This week, the answer is both. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for entomologists. The thing that lives in the castle is an ancient creature we spiders fear above all others. Well do I remember how I pleaded with Hagrid to let me go when I sensed the beast moving about the school. What is it? We do not speak of it. We do not name it. I never even told Hagrid the name of that dread creature, though he asked me many times. I'm Heather Price-Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And before all you pedants out there come at us, we looked it up, and arachnology is a subset of entomology, even though technically arachnids are not insects. They're not, you know, no. Do not at us. This week we are reading chapters called Cornelius Fudge and Aragog. It's going to be great. You are going to hear so much cursing. A special amounts of cursing this week because there's giant fucking spiders coming at us. <laughs> also spoilers because there's giant fucking spiders coming at us. And this week's adult themes are a broken criminal justice system, career counseling, corruption, self-driving cars, and of course arachnophobia. Before we get into the recap, we have a quick correction. It turns out for the last 12 episodes, we've been mispronouncing our dear author's name, J.K. Rowling. It's not Rowling, it's Rowling. Yeah, as in bowling. Twitter user named Alger Donovan pointed this out to us, so we would like to thank you for that. We are going to do our best to say Joanne's name correctly from now on. It is Ms. Rowling, and... Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Joe. If you're out there. Which are probably not. God, that would be baller. <laughs> That's like... Joe, if you're listening, we finally learned how to say your we're name. We're sorry. Uh, apparently it's a Yankee thing, though, to... Uh, it's very U.S. to say Rowling. Well, that's how it's spelled. It's spelled rolling. <laughs> it's true. It doesn't matter. It looks like bowling. It does look like bowling. You're right. To me, it looks like it rhymes with prowling, but I'm clearly wrong because a person knows how to pronounce their own goddamn name. <laughs> I guess you get called Dahlenberg a fair amount. Yeah. Do I know how to pronounce my own name? It's yeah. probably been lost to uh Well, your name is pronounced pronun- the way you say your name. That's true. That's one thing that you get to determine for yourself. There's actually a really funny episode of 30 Rock where Jack Donaghy gets in a fight with his brother Eddie about whether it's Donaghy or Donaghy. So, just a little aside. Good maybe re- maybe none of us know how anything is said. Good reference. J.K. Rowling, sorry about that. You want to tell us what happened this week? Yes. In this week's chapters things escalate incredibly fucking quickly from discussions about what all the second years are going to be taking next year. They have to register, sign for classes. This is a school, after all. It's easy to forget that sometimes with all the monster attacks and other shenanigans going on. Percy has some opinions about what Harry should take. Hermione signs up for everything, as Hermione does. I mean, that's not the main thing that happens. That's not, no. I, I said it escalates no, quickly. I know. Harry's room is ransacked. Neville body count. Neville's traumatized by discovering that Harry's room has been plundered. Uh, someone has gone in and taken Tom Riddle's diary. So um, the plot thickens there. Before the final Quidditch game, Harry once again hears the terrifying monster voice, which Ron and Hermione can't hear. Then Hermione all of a sudden has, boom, a moment of epiphany and says she has to go rush to the library to check something out. 
everyone heads out for the Quidditch game, which is abruptly cancelled by Professor McGonagall, who rushes out carrying a large purple microphone, random detail, and says that there have been two more attacks by the mysterious beast. One of them is Penelope Clearwater, the Ravenclaw Prefect, and the other is Hermione Granger, petrified, found with a mirror in the library. So, Ron and Harry are now on their own to solve this mystery, and hopefully we make it to book three, I don't know, you know? Things are getting really perilous. Ron and Harry resolve to go to Hagrid's hut to figure out whether or not he opened the Chamber of Secrets, because that's still an open question. They're like, we gotta get some answers. They head to Hagrid's hut under the cover of the invisibility cloak. But before they can ask Hagrid any pointed questions, Dumbledore comes in. They cover back up, go invisible. Dumbledore comes in with ba 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 motherfucking Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, who wants to send Hagrid to straight-up wizard prison, Azkaban, because getting rid of Hagrid worked the last time the Chamber of Secrets was opened. So Fudge is like, dude, look, it's politics. I gotta be doing something. Please don't be mad at me. And Dumbledore's like, don't do this. But before they can discuss it anymore, but 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 motherfucking Lucius Malfoy walks in to Hagrid's hut and says, guess what? I got an order from the governor's Dumbledore. You are suspended. Board of Governors has suspended Dumbledore. Hagrid says the Muggleborns won't stand a chance without Dumbledore, and Lucius is like, oh, well, that would suck if every Muggleborn died in Hogwarts, wouldn't it? Boo-hoo. Anyway, shit goes way off the rails in Hagrid's hut. Just as Cornelius Fudge and company are about to drag Hagrid off to the terrible wizard prison, Hagrid says to no one in particular, although we know that Harry and Ron are underneath the invisibility cloak, he says, if anybody wants to find out some uh, stuff, follow the spiders, which Harry and Ron decide to do into the Forbidden Forest, where they discover, one, the Fort Anglia, which has gained sentience in the forest, and two, the spiders from The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, who are serving Aragog, which used to be Hagrid's pet, who fills Harry and Ron in after scaring the shit out of them and carrying them off to their crazy spider city deep in the forest, tells them, look, yo, Hagrid raised me in a cupboard. I was around for all the Chamber of Secrets shit. It wasn't me. I won't tell you what came out of the Chamber of Secrets because it's literally too terrifying for me, the most terrifying thing you've ever seen, to say this word. Anyway, Hagrid's innocent, and now I'm gonna feed you to my children. So, that sucks. Also, Fang is along for the ride because they decide to bring Hagrid's dog along, who's not really much help ever. All the bazillions of spider children of Aragog are about to pounce on Harry, who, quote, resolves to die fighting. Then, uh, DSX Ford Anglia shows up, plows through a bunch of spiders. Ron, Harry, and Fang jump in the car, it drives away, it drives out of the forest. They emerge at the edge of the forest of the Hagrid's hut. Ron is violently sick in the pumpkin patch because they've all been through really just a terrifying, traumatizing experience. And I'm sure they need to work this out in years of therapy, but uh, they head back to their dorm rooms. Harry doesn't go to sleep because... How could you? Uh, yeah, how could you? But he's like, oh, I gotta ponder on what Aragog said. You know, not even not even just the fact that Aragog almost fed him alive to uh, tons of spiders. But anyway, Aragog mentioned 
that the last time the Chamber of Secrets was opened, a girl's body was discovered in a bathroom, and he's like, holy shit, it's Moaning Myrtle. So Cliffhanger, Ron, and Harry have to go ask Moaning Myrtle about what happened in the Chamber of Secrets, and that's where we are this episode. Jesus Christ. I know, episode 13. Lucky 13 contains... Spider monsters. Just clusterfuck overall of things happening. Oh, <laughs> what a my tangled God. web we weave. Thank you for that. That was very good. No, that sucked. No, I loved it. I don't know. Thank yeah. you for that joke. So, anyway, yeah, man, we were just in like cold sweats at the end of these chapters, you know? I was terrified. The Arakov chapter is terrifying. We'll talk about that a little later. First, let's talk about the most boring, but also one of the more funny things that happens in these chapters, which is. They have to pick their classes for next year? Yeah, yeah, you start getting electives in your third year. And apparently it's actually kind of important because Percy and Hermione both emphasize the fact that this is going to affect your future career. Harry smiled grimly to himself at the thought of what Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia would say if he tried to discuss his career in wizardry with them. Not that he didn't get any guidance. Percy Weasley was eager to share his experience. Depends where you want to go, Harry, he said. It's never too early to think about the future, so I'd recommend divination. People say muggle studies is a soft option, but I personally think wizards should have a thorough understanding of the non-magical community, particularly if they're thinking of working in close contact with them. Look at my father. He has to deal with muggle business all the time. My brother Charlie was always more of an outdoor type, so he went for care of magical creatures. Play to your strengths, Harry. But the only thing Harry felt he was really good at was Quidditch. In the end, he chose the same new subjects as Ron, feeling that if he was lousy at them, at least he'd have someone friendly to help him. Also, Percy's apparently the only one who's actually dispensing career advice, which, I mean, I know he's a prefect, but he's still a student. And what the fuck does Percy know? He's like 16. Right, it's kind of crazy that they don't get any kind of, like, advisement along I, with I know, this, like, you know? chapter. I mean, Dumbledore is just like, uh... Good luck! Yeah, 12-year-olds, I think you guys can pick the uh, trajectory of your future careers. I don't even think I was quite qualified to do that in as a freshman in college. No, you changed your major, like, four times. Yeah, I was in college about as long as these kids are in Hogwarts. <laughs> you know, That's which, okay, that doesn't reflect very well on me. And uh, that's why I'm making a Harry Potter podcast now instead of, uh, I don't know. Yeah, we've said it before and we'll say it again. Hogwarts needs a guidance counselor. These kids get so little help actually going to school. And also they have so many hindrances to their education in the form of, to move on to other topics, horrifying governance and monsters. Dean Thomas, who's a muggle-born, literally just points his wand randomly at the course catalog to choose his classes, which, because he doesn't know what ancient runes or arithmancy are, and for that matter, I don't really understand either. No. Um, I guess to be fair, when I was... like taking Latin. Well, no, I mean, when I was in middle school, like, I was, I did only theater, and that isn't what I grew up to do, but it still didn't, like, hurt me. I mean, it doesn't really, really, really matter what you're into when you're 12. But this seems more important in Hogwarts and in the Wizarding World in general, because there doesn't seem to be any kind of 
post high school education system. That's true. There's this no is all wizard. They get. There's no wizard university. That's so true. Charlie went straight from care of magical creatures into some kind of into maybe apprenticeship programs or something like that. Maybe it's what comes after Hogwarts. And this is a question I think we're going to return to, but uh, it seems like more of an apprenticeship system. Right. In the so you're world. right. They do have to know earlier on mm-hmm. at least their strengths. Well, for example, Ron is really short sighted and he's like, I would drop defensive against the dark arts if I could. And it's like, bro, you know, I know, everyone knows, Lockhart is not going to outlast the year. Like, don't give up. <laughs> by far the most important course you could possibly take in the wizarding world because your whole life is filled with the dark arts. So they're just, you know, whatever, they're kids. But you're right, somebody should be guidance counseling them. That's probably the job of your head of house. That's probably not Dumbledore. McGonagall should just be like... Yeah, McGonagall should be She she should have office hours. Yeah. Ugh, whatever. I mean, she's too busy trying to figure out what's killing kids. Actually, maybe nearly headless Nick has been petrified... And he's the Gryffindor ghost. Presumably he, you know, he gives them like directions around the school and answers questions. Maybe nearly Headless Nick is the guidance counselor. That's a terrible idea. The last time he had anything remotely resembling a job (laughs) was at the end of the 15th century. He was like, you know what you should do? You should find America. Yeah, you should be a tanner. (laughs) There's a lot of great positions for tanners open. Uh, If you're not the aristocracy, though, you're fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Sir Nicholas is like, oh, you don't have a title? Bye. Yeah. No, uh, not a good title. Also, can you imagine? Can you imagine the the bloody Baron giving career advice? No, that's not a good plan. It should be McGonagall. You know, just that's just a hypothesis. I don't like it. I'm not extra sure. Or they should have a career day. They should. Hogwarts is so barely a school. It's actually hysterical how often they're like, mur, 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 we have so much homework. I'm like, in what? You never seem to be learning. <laughs> you are running away from giant spiders in 90% of these books. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's why Ron feels like he doesn't need defense against the dark arts because their whole life is Every basically... Every day is defense against the dark arts. themselves lessons. against the dark arts, <laughs> which is actually alluded to later in the series. Yeah. Because uh, Harry basically runs his own underground defense against the dark arts, like training school. Yeah, which is actually but one we, of the more baller parts. We will get to that. So, we lose Hermione in the chapter called Cornelius Fudge, which, like, what are these boys going to do? <laughs> I mean, so far they are quitting themselves fairly well. They know they have to do something. They, yeah. Well, Ron's scared of this. He doesn't want to follow the spiders for good fucking reason. But he does it anyway. He thinks, hmm... Where are all these tiny spiders leading to? Probably bigger Probably spiders. a much larger spider. He doesn't actually say that, but, I mean, that'd be a reasonable thing to guess. But then he looks at Hermione's empty seat, and resolve fills him. Yeah. He thinks, what would Hermione do? What I love here is that it just, it's just alluded to, but Hermione fucking figures it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, girl's got a mirror in her hand for a reason. Yeah. She's like, Harry is hearing something. No one else can hear it. When is the last time that Harry was able to communicate with something that nobody else could? Oh, shit. Whatever it is, is probably an ancient-ass snake. Yeah. She figures it out. She goes to the library. She figures out it's a basilisk. She is like, I can't look this shit in the eyes. I'm a muggle-born. I'm in big trouble. She gets a hand mirror. She's escorting... What's her face? Penelope She's like escorting Penelope Clearwater through the hallways both of them looking around corners in this mirror and they get petrified. So fucking Hermione is always like 
10, 20, 30 steps ahead of anyone else, including any teacher. Yeah. By now, like, somebody should know what this thing is besides Hermione Granger, who's 12. Well, it's a good plot device because it forces the boys to solve this thing on their own. Right, to survive without Mm -hmm. the very serious crutch of Hermione's incredible intellect. Yeah, and it, it ups the stakes. And it brings Ernie McMillan around because he realizes that Harry would never attack Hermione. Right. So he extends a pudgy hand to Again, Harry. <laughs> stop body shaming. I know. She's Joe. like, I love that Ernie's immediately like, dude, guys, what if it's Draco Malfoy? And Ron's and, like, yeah, yeah, you're smart. Yeah, 10 steps ahead of you, buddy. Uh, Don't even worry about it. Stick to Hufflepuff, you know? Go what? back to your go back to your easily entered common room, Ernie. <laughs> Just knock your little code, <laughs> yeah. bro. What do you think about the fact that Harry never tells anyone about the disembodied voice? Is that negligent? Um, I wondered that when I was reading this chapter because he hears it and then Ron's like, better get off to the game, dude. And Harry's like, all right, yeah, gotta go play fucking Quidditch. Ron is complicit in this, or maybe even responsible, because he tells him that hearing voices is not a good thing, even in the wizarding world. So Harry is feeling, I don't know if he's feeling ashamed or if he's going to be like accused of something, probably a mixture of the two. But Harry hides this pretty pertinent fact that he hears a voice saying it's going to kill things, and then there are attacks every time that happens. So he probably, when he heard that, he probably should have gone to McGonagall and said, yo, there's some, something's going to go down. I guess he does think, okay, everyone's outside the school, so that's better than inside, but. Here's the thing, though. Harry has caught on pretty quickly to how shit works in the Wizarding World, and he would almost certainly be accused of being the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets if he revealed this voice and said, look what happened to Hagrid. He's already been accused of opening the Chamber of Secrets. No, 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 but I mean accused more formally, Mm -hmm. more officially, like the ministry would have to get involved. I think that Harry has just read the room pretty well and knows that telling any grown-ups what's going on at any given time is not only useless, but like usually directly counterproductive. He's just like... What the fuck are they going to do? I told them somebody was going to steal the stone and they were like, okay, just go to bed, please. Like, no, he he knows yeah. that well, this, it won't do any good. At this point, he doesn't know that Hagrid didn't open the Chamber of Secrets. He hasn't disproved that yet. It's still an open... I don't but, think he really believes it. But. Well, and they're all pretty sure that whatever happened, certainly Hagrid didn't mean to do what he did. Right. And one of the things that they sort of don't get at that really bugs me about the Hagrid theory is you have to have intent. Like, it's not just, like, a hiding monster. Right. Like, opening the chamber isn't a matter of, like, oh, coochie-coochie-coo, look at the little spider. It's, like, you have to open the chamber with the specific intent of ridding Hogwarts of Muggleborns. So Hagrid doesn't have the ability to do that, and... Hermione kind of hints at that, but all of them are kind of like, oh, maybe Hagrid's like monster fetish just like got out of control. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because that's what the chamber is. But then again, they are operating in like a really low information environment. So, right. But I think Harry's probably right not to tell anyone about the voice because that's a good segue to the goddamn criminal justice system, which just lacks any kind of due process or like process. Yeah. The prime minister or the minister of magic literally shows up personally, personally personally arrests Hagrid and sends him to prison without, yeah, any kind of due process 
fully acknowledging that he may be innocent. But he says, that, if this isn't you, we'll apologize. Which, yeah, considering what we learn later in these books about what Azkaban is like, including the fact that they have soul-sucking monsters guarding the place... That, an apology is not sufficient in this, uh, in this case. No, Hagrid will end up haunted for the rest of his life by this fairly brief stint in Azkaban. Yeah, there's no, there's no, oh, you'll just be in Azkaban for a while. That's like, you'll only be waterboarded for... A couple of minutes. Torture is torture, y'all. Yeah, uh, this is... And Azkaban is torture. Azkaban is not a holding cell with, like, a good-natured warden that you can shoot the shit with. Azkaban is torture. So, it's crazy to me that Cornelius Fudge, that the wizarding governance exists in such that Cornelius Fudge can just personally show up, citizen's arrest. No, well, it's not a citizen's arrest. He has the full backing of uh, the magical government. But he as himself... Com- as, as magical commander-in-chief, I suppose. Well, we don't actually know that much about the structure of the magical government. Right, government. right. But yeah, you're right. I suppose he is like sort of the supreme commander. It's this kind of executive order. Right. He's, so, he's suspending yes. habeas corpus. To an, if there is If there is habeas corpus, which we don't know. It's truly medieval. It is one of the most terrifying systems of crime and punishment in any set of children's books. Oh, yeah. It's up there with the Hunger Games. Yes, it is. In terms of like how poorly they deal with the possibility of crime or malfeasance in this world. Yeah, Hagrid gets no, he doesn't get to appear before anyone, like let alone a jury of his yeah. peers. Like there's no he, judge uh, even. It's just an individual. He he should be allowed to sue. He basically clearly. gets like disappeared. Yeah. It's terrifying. He's sent to a black site. And, yeah. But he should be allowed to sue. There doesn't seem to be any kind of recourse lawyers in the wizarding world or legal representation of any kind. Because when he is released, they're just like, oh, shit. Sorry, dude. Yeah, bye. Uh, Yeah, he should be compensated in gold for being dragged off to a rock in the middle of the sea and forced to have the happiness drained out of him by demons. Yeah, all of it. It's so... This is like a bone-chilling scene mm-hmm. when Hagrid gets dragged off to Azkaban. We've talked about this in in terms of just Hogwarts as its own self-contained universe. Yeah. But we now see that this is also true of the wider wizarding world. It is not safe. It is especially not safe for Harry Potter and his friends. There are a lot beyond the existence of giant spiders and other demons and monsters and stuff. The governance of the wizarding world is fairly monstrous. Mm -hmm. And Harry sees injustice, which is like our great monster as humans, is this kind of injustice. And Harry learns that the priorities of people with power and authority don't always mesh with the needs of the people they have authority over. Fudge almost straight up says that his goal is to basically save his own political reputation. Right. He's covering his ass and Mm -hmm. that's it. He's not trying to keep kids safe. Because he knows it's weird how Fudge sort of simultaneously super duper trusts and super duper distrusts Dumbledore. Right. Because Fudge says the Muggleborns don't stand a chance without Dumbledore at the school. But also he stands there and like dead ass looks at Dumbledore and Dumbledore says, it is not Hagrid. You are not fixing anything. And Fudge is like, don't care, bro. I gotta do something. 
I know I might not be stopping the problem. I'm probably not saving any lives. I might be making shit worse, but like the only real need I have right now is not to look feckless. Right. In the face of this catastrophe. Right. I mean, that's an interesting thing to explore in a book for like sixth graders. Harry learns more about power than almost anything else in the course of his struggles here. Power and the utter corruptibility of people in any kind of reach of power. Well, Voldemort says in book one, there is no good or evil, only power, and that's very menacing. And Fudge himself is not very impressive, but he operates on the same assumption. He is protecting his power base. Right. I can't be doing the wrong thing Mm -hmm. because I am in charge and the thing I do is a thing that happens. Yeah, with disregard to whether it is a good or bad decision. You know what I love about this scene is the fun but also really sinister juxtaposition between Fudge's physical bearing and affect and the monstrous actions that he takes because she describes him as just fucking silly looking. Good evening, Hagrid. It was Dumbledore. He entered, looking deadly serious, and was followed by a second very odd-looking man. The stranger had rumpled grey hair and an anxious expression, and was wearing a strange mixture of clothes, a pinstripe suit, a scarlet tie, a long black coat, and pointed purple boots. Under his arm, he carried a lime-green bowler. That's Dad's boss! Ron breathed, Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic. Harry elbowed Ron hard to make him shut up. Hagrid had gone pale and sweaty. He dropped into one of his chairs and looked from Dumbledore to Cornelius Fudge. Bad business, Hagrid, said Fudge in rather clipped tones. Very bad business. Had to come. Four attacks on Muggleborns. Things have gone far enough. Ministry's got to act. (laughs) Like, he's a crazy-looking dude, and he's sort of diminutive, and the way he's portrayed, I mean, in the audiobooks, the way he's portrayed in the films, he's sort of like a feckless, sniveling, unpleasant, overly combed dude. Like, he's not presented as a particularly powerful figure. Well, and even his name, Fudge. Cornelius Fudge. It's goofy. Yeah, it's goofy, but also, you know, there's the, she does this with her character names. Oh, yeah, for sure. like the kind of essence of right like he's fudging yeah politicians so politicians fudge yeah he's he's making it up and then there's cornelius which is this very regal roman name regal and roman but also kind of fussy yeah like there's something very over the top and like kind of fussy about being a, a person named cornelius it's, it's very, a wonderfully yeah. written character. It's a very Gimlet-eyed view of uh, politicians, it's but true. it rings extremely true. Well, More true than ever in a lot of ways. Oh my god. Ugh, we can't get started on that. Yeah. Well, because then Malfoy comes in. Lucius, not Draco. Lucius Malfoy and straight up strong arms Dumbledore out of power with the clearly forced signatures of the other Hogwarts governors. We have bitched a lot about Dumbledore's governance of the school, but this is a despicable grab on Lucius Malfoy's part. The thing that's terrifying about this scene is the, I love how she writes it, the clear relish that he takes in the fact that now that Dumbledore is gone, like, shit is going to get worse. Right. Like, he's just smirking as people are like, oh, what are the Muggleborns going to do without Dumbledore? And he's like, 
what indeed? I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, He's doing... it'd be a tragedy if anything worse happened, but hopefully not. Well, you and I talk about this all the time with our current governance. I'm sorry, I'm, we're going to do this again. We're going to get a little bit political. Breaking the system in order to make the system look broken is... That's a key political strategy. Right. Of, uh, and you may or may not agree with that, it, depending on your views of what government should do and the size of government. I don't think I agree with those tactics. Right. But, uh, but yeah, if you look at, like... Congress, con- now. Like Mitch McConnell's use of the filibuster, which is historically off the charts. Right. Making the system look broken in order to achieve the political goal of further breaking the right. system. So you, you benefit from gridlock and inefficiency. Right. Which is basically... So- what Lucius is doing here. He knows that he's making the situation worse, but he's making the situation worse in a way that makes it look like Dumbledore's fault. He wants to clear the way for the purging of the school. He has made that extremely clear. His son has certainly made that <laughs> eminently clear in all of his conversations. Lucius Malfoy is pro-murder, basically. Yeah. He is pro-ridding the school by any means necessary of non-pure blood witches and wizards. But he does it in a, in a politically astute way. He does. He, because... He says, because he's right that Dumbledore is not doing a good mm-hmm. job. And he knows how easy it's going to be to make Dumbledore a scapegoat here. Yeah. It's so disingenuous. This is a reasonable political response, but he's doing it to accomplish the opposite ends. Harry is up against Voldemort, but he's also up against this system of entrenched interests and powers that care more about staying in place than about getting rid of evil, which is feeling so relevant that it's like <laughs> making me sick. The thing is that he they do exactly the what the worst thing that you expect later on. Cornelius Fudge right here is setting himself up to be the kind of guy that denies the fact that Voldemort has come back because doing so means that he gets to briefly remain Minister of Magic in the New World Order that he denies he lives under. Right. So she is such a weirdly astute political writer for a writer for middle grade students. There's a lot of fiction for this age group about like New World Orders and like government corruption, none of them are as nuanced or as carefully constructed as this one. Because Fudge isn't evil, he's just bad at his job. And and the Wizarding World, maybe you could make the argument that it's a dystopia, but it's clearly not set up this way. She's saying there are dystopic elements of the world you already live in. Yes, yes, which is accurate. Which is true, you know? like (laughs) I like that it's not a dystopia. I like that it's not overtly a dystopian series. Right. First of all, because I think dystopias are fucking boring. And yeah. like, again, don't at me. I'm I'm right about that. That's a boring genre, y'all. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna completely write off dystopia. Fine. There are good dystopias. There are too many bad ones. But dystopias are often set up where from page one, you're saying to yourself, thank God I don't live in this fucking dystopian hellhole. Hogwarts reveals its dystopian elements as you go. And you would very, a lot of people would very much like to live in the wizarding world. Right. But there are really bad elements it's uh, true. of it. And it's like our world has many great worthwhile things in it. But the more you learn about it, the more you're like, oh, yeah, no, things aren't run super well, yeah. but we like sort of muddle through anyway because that's how humans behave. Right. So, I mean, she's not writing like 
what would people do if the worst thing ever happened? She's like, what do people do when confronted with true and complicated moral choices? undergirded by the existence of real good and real evil, but mostly not marked by those things purely. Right. So, ugh, this, it, it's such a good political scene. Also, let's talk for just a minute about Gilderoy Lockhart's reaction, because all the kids are freaked as fuck, and they get to Lockhart's class, and all the other teachers are also, like, really grim, like, taking this shit real seriously, and Lockhart is just, like, sunny and blithe and like totally fine and everyone's like uh what's your deal man and he's like Hagrid did it if Hagrid didn't do it then he wouldn't have been arrested (laughs) which is such a true type of Mm -hmm. person it's like the kind of person that's like you shouldn't care if the NSA is spying on you if you have nothing to hide it's like bro we're not the ones who get to decide what there is to hide yeah yeah it's also so in keeping with the more sinister elements of his character Mm -hmm. I like that he's this is a way in which he's like a really nasty actor all right so we have the monstrousness of politics and then we have uh real monsters (laughs) all right it's spider time Harry and Ron follow the spiders per Hagrid's cryptic advice and run smack dab into this spider society of spiders large and small who are the offspring of Aragog and Aragog's spider wife, Mozog. Who Hagrid mysteriously found for him. Yeah. <laughs> Hagrid like, played... he even he even like found me a dame. Yeah, on Okay uh, Aragog. On Okay, Web. Web. I don't know. Something. No. Is there Wait, a? We got to think of a found funnier him a joke. Good, he found him a. Tin, what rhymes with Tinder? Okay. Spinner. Okay, Spinder. No, that's. Okay, different. Spinner. We're done. No, with trying on to make spinner, this joke. On spinner. On spin. On spindler. No. Okay. I'm done this is not working. This, this is not working. We tried it and we failed. <laughs> on okay, Spider. Yeah. Go on. So I don't know. They're in. Brave as fuck to go into the Forbidden Forest, uh, which Harry hoped he'd never go into again after encountering Voldemort there. Spoiler alert, Harry, you're going to go into the Forbidden Forest so fucking many times, yeah. bro. <laughs> Your life is going to be the Forbidden Forest soon. Uh, so in, they go into the woods. Um, <laughs> Without regret, the choice is made, the task is set. Into the woods to find a big spider on a journey. I don't, you know. And... It evokes, intentionally, I think, the scenes in The Hobbit, another classic of children's literature, where Bilbo and company are traveling through Mirkwood, another forbidden forest that you're really not supposed to go into. And they go off the path. And they go off the path. And shit, when you leave the path, you run into Spidertown. Right. It's impossible to read this chapter having ever read The Hobbit and not or the be Lord, like, Or The Lord of the Rings with Shelob. Or um, The Lord of the Rings. But for me, it's like, it's more similar to The Hobbit because it's this sort of like quest and it's for kind of a similar age group. Yeah. But regardless, yes. Any of J.R.R. Tolkien's oeuvre, you cannot read this chapter and not be like, uh, this has been written before. So when I was conducting my Harry Potter boycott as a moody teen and my sister described this to me I thought it sounded like a ripoff but now I more clearly see it as homage I think so she talks a lot about Tolkien being an influence and it's so similar in mood and plot movement that 
it seems too direct to be just stolen. I think it's right, pretty right. clearly. I was not, yeah, I wouldn't well, say it's stolen. And a, a, a ripoff or right. like a poor man's um, The Hobbit. But for me, the reason that it's an homage or that it works as an homage and not as a ripoff is because it's an incredibly exciting scene in its own right and appropriately plot forwarding. Yeah. Like it's not in here randomly. We know about Hagrid, this way over the top predilection for horrifying monsters. The idea that Hagrid is this like weird monster man king of the Forbidden (laughs) Forest and the only man who has permission to pass freely throughout all of these sort of monster communities and monster societies, that's actually a really lovely Hagrid character trait. I mean, you see that in the first book, too, when he's the only man that the centaurs interact with. When Aragog speaks quite tenderly oh, with Hagrid. Oh, with, with real, true love. I mean, the whole community loves Hagrid. Hagrid sort of moves uncomfortably through the wizarding world. So I like this image of Hagrid as a beloved member of all of these different monster societies and communities. I think I found that like despite the fact that this scene is really 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 terrifying, I found that sort of sweet. Aragog is this very 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 old graying blind spider and Hagrid is his oldest and dearest friend. And that's yeah. nice even though it's the worst also. Uh we also have the Fort Anglia is back. The forest is turned wild, which I loved because you get the sense of the forest having this primal magic coursing throughout it. It could be partially an effect of Arthur Weasley's like magic, like unintended consequences, but Ron says the forest has turned it wild, so mm-hmm. the car is just living its best life in the forest. Yeah. And it fucking saves them. A nice thing about the magic. A literal DSX machina. Yes, it's true. A nice thing about magic in the Harry Potter universe is it comes from so many sources other than directly out of wands. So I like what you said about the forest has its own magic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the magical world is not just engendered by wizards. Magic exists and moves through this world from a lot of different sources and in a lot of with a lot of different mechanisms. And I think one of the things that the pureblood supremacists misunderstand and don't seem to capture about the wizarding world is that not only wizards are magic and that magic exists all around them and in all kinds of creatures. Also interesting to learn from Aragog that the monster of Slytherin is the monster that monsters fear. So the fact that there's this horrifying spider land and they won't even speak the name of the basilisk is an interesting match or an interesting mirror of the way the wizards treat Voldemort. And we can get into this more because there's later times when we can talk more about the meaning of Voldemort's name. But she does a lot with the concept of does speaking the name conjure something of the evil. And so they won't even say the name of the beast. Right. Which Aragog knows even though he was born from an egg in a cupboard. It's this ancient primal knowledge. Yes, yes. He And he senses, even though he is not a member, I mean, he's born outside of his spider land, he senses the basilisk in the castle when he's there. And that's why he, that's why Hagrid lets him go in the first place, because right. Aragog is terrified to live in Hogwarts because he can tell that the basilisk is awake. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So good. We keep saying basilisk. That's what the Beast of yeah, Slytherin you know. is. That's what the monster is. We're going to talk about what it is more next week, but it's a big-ass snake. Yeah. This is also just such a great kind of fantasy monster scene. Like, right out of, obviously, Tolkien or Star Trek or Star Wars, where all the spiders are, like, clicking their pincers and, like, chanting Aragog, and the Spider King descends to render its judgment. But I also love that even though... Hagrid has led them into this situation. I love the fact that Aragog's like, sorry guys, I'm still a big-ass spider, and I'm gonna feed you to my children. He's like, Hagrid is one thing, but I don't know you bitches. Yeah. <laughs> what are you even doing here? Yeah. You shouldn't have come here. My, my I, think, I think it's great that it's not a moment where they learn, oh, well, these spiders are scary, but... They can still be friends. J.K. No. Rowling's like, no, this is still a big-ass spider, and it can and will feed you to its babies. Monsters are not your friends, y'all. Yeah. This is also another... <laughs> this is one of those moments where you just, like, Hagrid's judgment is just so off base. Like, Hagrid, telling them to follow the spiders was the wrong thing to do. I know in <laughs> the way that the book plays out, it ends up being the way that they get important information. Yeah, yeah. Bad plan. Bad call. Why do you trust Aragog? And Ron even says, he's just like, ah, uh, I get that Hagrid didn't actually release the Beast of Slytherin, but what just happened to us? Not a ton better. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather face off against the Basilisk or Aragog? Mm. I mean, neither. I'm really glad I'm not a wizard. Harry has no chance against Aragog. They have to get, they have to haul ass out of there in an enchanted car. Well, he has no chance against the Basilisk, except there's another, like, deus ex sword and a hat in a... Okay, well, yeah, next episode. Either way, like, Harry gets magical, mystical, out-of-nowhere help against beasts he has no business defeating. (laughs) That's just how these books function. It's fine. It's snowing. Oh. Oh, it's the first snow, everybody. Magic. Oh, magic is real. That's teeny little flakes, but it's pretty. Fair enough. Wrapping this web up. Well, we end on this pretty fun cliffhanger that they figure out that Moaning Myrtle was the girl, the student that the Beast of Slytherin killed the first time around. And so we end with Harry sitting bolt upright in bed and saying, Ron, Ron, what if she never left the bathroom? Which... There's not that much to say about that, except that it's, like, exciting that Moaning Myrtle now has, like, a role to play. Amazing that they're the first people to think about this and interrogate Moaning Myrtle about her own death. It's like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be, like, well, this murder victim's ghost decided to stay. Maybe we could get some uh, useful information here. It's, there's this, like, I promise this has a point. BuzzFeed had, like, a list of the dumbest tweets of 2016, And one of them was, why is it so hard for people to solve murders? Like, just ask who killed them. In this case, possible. (laughs) Yeah. No. Guys, just ask Moaning Myrtle what killed her. Nobody has ever bothered. Well, they're about to. I know. So, woohoo. We're going to find out so much more. Poor Myrtle just gets ignored in death. Yeah. Gaslighted forever. Uh, Yeah. Sucks. So, Heather, who are your unsung heroes for these chapters? My unsung hero is Fang who's just, like, along for the ride on this excursion into Aragog's lair. And who's not, like, an 
excellent guard dog, but he's sweet and he provides a certain amount of comfort. And earlier on, he's super loyal to Hagrid, which is really cute. I don't know. It's like nice to have a non-fucked up creature around in this book. <laughs> like, it's just kind of pleasant to be like, okay, you're just a fucking dog. Like, you're not a monster. You're not a dog who's actually a man. You're not a rat who's actually a man. You're just a nice-ass pooch. Do you think, I like Fang. Do you think Fang ever feels kind of jealous of the other kind of more monstrous animals in Hagrid's affections? No, because I think Fang is first and foremost in Hagrid's heart. I mean, Fang is Hagrid's, like, true lifelong companion. Fang is... Fang outlasts all these monster bitches. That's true. The you know, Norbert goes away. Aragog has to live in the forest with all his spider babies. All the other monsters come and go, but Fang is Fang is for keeps. So that's mine. Who's yours? Mine is Lee Jordan, who gives this fiery speech in the Gryffindor common room, and he basically just says what we're all thinking. That's two Gryffindors down, not counting a Gryffindor ghost, one Ravenclaw, and one Hufflepuff said the Weasley twins' friend, Lee Jordan, counting on his fingers. Haven't any of the teachers noticed that the Slytherins are all safe? Isn't it obvious all this stuff's coming from Slytherin? The heir of Slytherin, the monster of Slytherin, why don't they just chuck all the Slytherins out? He roared to nods and scattered applause. He does, but then I was reading that and I was like, this is a little fascist. (laughs) It's like, at what point do you become... What you fear. What you fear. Yeah, yeah but you... I do love that because it's basically what we say he's every, very, all the time. He's very close to proposing that Gryffindor find its own beast and make a chamber of... No Slytherin. Extra secrets. Yeah. yeah. Well, but he does make this very obvious but quite funny point where he's like, uh, there have been Ravenclaws, a bunch of Gryffindors, and a Hufflepuff or two attacked, and... Guess who's conspicuously missing from this list? Uh, trash house Slytherin. Yeah, why Why does Slytherin exist? And then I'm not sure that this is ever brought up again, but... Uh, yeah, well, perhaps to Lee Jordan for saying what we're all thinking. I know. All right, Lee. Anyway, this week is brought to you by the Ford Anglia, built Ford tough for escaping spiders. <laughs> awesome. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, and they are Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, available wherever you're trying to download an audiobook. Written by J.K. Rowling, which rhymes with bowling. It does. We have a newsletter that we didn't send out this week, but we should. It's still good. The last one was good. Sorry. Just read up on it. No. We have a newsletter. Go to tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. Sign up for it. We try to send it out weekly. It's usually pretty funny and full of interesting tidbits. Speaking of funny, we're also on Instagram. And Twitter. At Quibbler Podcast for both of those. Uh, What are the Instagram highlights this week? Oh, the Instagram is lit, you guys. We got some owl jokes. That was barely a joke. We got some memes. We got some behind-the-scenes pics of us reading and recording for these podcasts, which if you want to see our cute faces you could follow us on instagram alex does most of the tweeting it's full of very good jokes and observations so both social media accounts are worth following also if you have feedback that's twitter in particular is a really good way to that share helps. It that's us. how we learned how to pronounce jk rowling's name it is indeed and we are eternally grateful 
rate, review, subscribe. Those are your verbs for the week. Um, please do so on iTunes. Go leave us a rating and even a review if you have the time. It helps other people find the podcast. It makes us happy and feel like we're making this and not just flinging it into the void. It's all we want for Christmas. Yeah. For Christmas, leave us a rating and a review. A nice one. Don't leave us the coal version of either one. That would be great. Um, next week is the last episode of book two, Chamber of Secrets. Wow. So, wow, we're almost through two of these. Two of the small books in this series. Wait yeah. till we get to fucking book five. Yeah, they're going to cut down several Forbidden Forests uh, later on to make these books. Absolutely. So. But, so next week we're reading the last three chapters of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. The first one is called The Chamber of Secrets. And then The Heir of Slytherin. And then Dobby's Reward. Where has Dobby been? Dobby kind of gave up on his whole quest to get Harry Potter out of Hogwarts. He was just like, this is clearly not going well. Dobby's got a concussion from shutting his, like, head in the oven. Or Dobby's probably, like, chained up somewhere. I know. Poor Dobby. Jeez, Dobby. Anyway, next week he's coming back, um, as is everything in this whole book, because it's gonna be the conclusion. Wrapping it all up. That's it. Thanks, amigos. Bye. I, I, I can't remember the last time I corrected someone when they said Rowling. In fact, America, I don't, I think everyone thinks I'm J.K. Rowling, so I just answer to both. Rowling is a fairly horrible name anyway, so, you know, some might argue it's improved by, by being mispronounced.